the influence of the VLA max on your threshold and on your fat max increases with the VO2 max. So it's not it's, it's it is not linear. It's not straightforward. You can just not say, ah, the influence of VLA max on my threshold of fat max is X Y Z. The Triathlon Show 237. Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and on today's episode, I interview Sebastian Weber. He's a coach, exercise physiologist, and the founder of the software company Inside. Sebastian and Inside work with world tour cycling teams, uh, multiple national federations across endurance sports from triathlon to speed skating, and individual athletes at the very highest level in various endurance sports. In this interview, we discuss physiology and the new and updated version of the Inside software for performance testing called the Power Performance Decoder or PPD. We go into how it's possible to calculate VO2 max and VLA max or maximum glycolytic capacity using power data only. You don't need to go to a lab to do that. The algorithm can calculate them for you. And we discuss how accurate the test results are, the utility of knowing these physiological parameters and some benchmarks for them as well as how these test results that you may get on the bike if you do the test protocol uh, in the remote setting, so with the power-only version, how that relates to running and swimming physiology, and much, much more. This is actually a two-part interview, so today you will hear part one of the interview, and in episode 238 next week you'll hear part two. Big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Hydration, that you can find on precisionhydration.com. If you are planning on doing any long endurance events during these hot summer months, then getting a gauge on what your individual sweat sodium concentration is can be a key part of really figuring out how to get through those long events in a hot climate. Precision Hydration has developed an online sweat test, which is a simple quiz that you can go and take for free on their website in just a few minutes time. And that will give you a good ballpark estimate for how much sodium you lose in your sweat. And that will help you calculate how much sodium you should replace in your event. So go and check that out. And if you want to try any other electrolytes, use the promo code DATTRAFLONSHOW15 to get 15% off your order on precisionhydration.com. And thank you to Roka. Roka have recently launched uh, three new products that I've talked about in uh, various episodes before. We have two wetsuits, the Maverick MX, the Max Buoyancy wetsuit, and the Maverick X2, which is the updated version of Roka's flagship wetsuit model. Then we also have the Matador sunglasses. Roka very kindly sent all of those to me, and uh, I actually just got them uh, days ago as I record this, and I have definitely tried uh, the Matador sunglasses on a lot of my uh, runs and rides, or all, on all of them since I got them actually, and I absolutely love them. I have also tried the uh, uh, the Maverick MX, the Max Buoyancy wetsuit in the open water, and that was really great. You can really notice the buoyancy in that. I have not yet tried the Maverick X2. I was uh, choosing between the uh, trying the MX and trying the X2, and I decided to save the best for last, so I'll try the X2 the next time I go to the open water. But uh, I can only assume that it's going to be absolutely fantastic, seeing as I, I already own the Maverick X wetsuit, the predecessor, and uh, I assume that the X2 is going to be an upgrade on that. So really, really exciting new product launches from Roka in, in recent months. You can go and check them out on roka.com forward slash TTS, which is where you'll get a 20% discount on your order. One more thing about this episode before we get into the interview. It was recorded in two different parts, so there is a bit of cutting and pasting going on in there. Basically, we wanted to re-record a part of the original recording where we just got a bit too technical and missed out on giving the all-important overview of what we're talking about. 
And uh, that means that there might be some points later in the interview where some small details may be repeated and so on. For the most part, there shouldn't be any big overlaps and nothing is missing from it either. So it's all there. It's just explained and laid out a bit better. But if you're wondering why there may be some repeated aspects or things that are slightly disconnected, then that is the reason why. And uh, but you will probably hear that these two recordings are from uh, that this interview is from two different recordings because I had some audio issues actually that I didn't notice in the first part of the recording or in actually in the second part of the recording as you'll hear this the first take of our recording and I, mu- I must have forgotten to set my microphone settings settings correctly in the excitement for this interview so sorry about that but I hope it will be uh, good decent audio anyway. Now, without any further ado, sorry to keep you waiting, let's hear this interview with Sebastian Weber. All right, so just as a reference for the listeners here, we are recording this part, uh, these uh, questions here, until um, you will hear another sort of audio bumper uh, at a separate uh, time and day to what we did with the original recording, because we felt that there were some parts missing and uh, that we didn't really get to in a in a great way in the first recording. So let's just start with this question, Sebastian. Uh, what is the the power performance decoder, and why is it an important tool? So you know, the power performance decoder, and I guess this is you know, I can start with how we came up with the name. Actually, the power performance decoder is a technology which is bridging the gap between your power duration curve, mean max power outputs, you know, your mechanical power that you measure with your power meter when you're out there training, racing, testing, and the physiological background, so the physiology of your of your body, of your muscle, of your muscle metabolism. Um, so what I mean with that is, you know, most people will be familiar with like power duration curves, FTP, critical power kind of stuff. You know, that's how they use their, their power meters. And um, then you might have heard something like of lactate threshold and VO2max and these kind of things. And they you know, kind of stand a little bit separately, right? Like you can go to a lab and get your lactate profile and your lactate threshold one and two or whatsoever, or VO2max, and then you go out on your bike and you have your power duration curve and your critical power. But there is no direct connection within the world of coaching or with you uh, or as for you as an athlete but obviously physiologically speaking there is there is a very very direct connection right because because the power that you see on your computer 300 watts 400 watts for three minutes four minutes whatsoever you know is obviously produced metabolically energetically speaking by the physiology of your muscles or by your muscles so there is a link and this is basically the link, this is where the name comes from, power to performance decoder, so to speak. Um, this is what the PPD, as we call it, the power performance decoder bridges. So it is able to morph and to link um, power duration data, mechanical power outputs from your bike computer to physiological aspects of your performance. And saying this, it basically runs partly or only on power data, which you you know, obtain riding outdoors, indoors, basically obtained by yourself. And or in combination with lactate measurements, either you have from the lab or from a field testing and or something like uh, VO2 measurements. If you do a VO2 max REM test in a physiological human performance lab, you you know, it takes it all. So it basically takes all those data sources and, you know, composes a one complete picture, one complete overview of your performance. And why is it uh, important? Why are we interested in getting uh, getting the physiological data in the first place? If we have the power data, we know how much power we can produce for a minute, ten minutes, an hour. Why do we care about physiology? Right. No, that's that's an excellent question. Um, and maybe you don't, and that's fair enough, right? Like you can say, well, you know, the best indicator, some people say, for performance is performance itself, right? So, or taking it one step. Further, you can say, um, you know, when I push more power, I'm more powerful, very obviously, right? So that's fair enough. That's true. But the reason why you maybe want to go 
at least one level deeper here is when you want to improve at a certain point, whether you know sooner or later you will end up at a situation where you will find it very, very helpful to understand how this power is actually produced. Because only when you understand the mechanism or when you understand how your performance is composed, you will be able to adjust or work on it, on your performance, by training, saying only then you will be able to identify which area needs work in order to improve your overall performance. And triathlon is the best example for that, right? Let's imagine an athlete comes to you and is asking for help. He asks you to get coached. And he says, well, you know, I want to improve my Ironman time. Let's say my current Ironman time is 12 hours. And one of the first things, that is why triathlon is just such a great example here. One of the first things the coach is going to ask is, okay, how much time do you spend in the water of these 12 hours Ironman time? How much time you spend in the water? How much time you spend on the bike? And how much time you spend in your running shoes? And when you ask this question, basically what you're doing, you're dissecting the performance, the overall 12-hour performance. You want to understand on a first level how this 12 hours is composed. And you're asking this question because you want to understand where should you focus on in training, right? Because, for example, if it's a 12-hour Ironman total time and the guy says, well, you know, I'm spending five hours on my bike, then this already indicates that there might be some work needed on the running and or swimming part. And this is the same for your power output. When you just look at the power output, yeah, fair enough. It tells you if, you have, if you're more powerful. But if you want to understand how to improve that power, you need to understand in which areas, like how is the power composed, and then where should I work on in order to improve this? Otherwise, it's just like you know, flying blind. Yeah, no, that, that's a great analogy. And can you explain how it actually works? Right, so... On a high level, um, what the power performance decoder needs or wants is to, you know, we talk about it, it has three pillars. So the power performance decoder has three pillars, which is one is your anaerobic threshold, or you can also say FTP or whatsoever, right? So that's one metric it needs to have in order to create your full physiological profile. Um or it needs to calculate or get from the data that you enter we're saying, right? Then well, another pillar, the second pillar, is your VO2 max, your maximum aerobic capacity, uh, or performance to be more precise. And the and the third one is your VLA max, your maximum glycolytic, you know, power production. So it always needs those three parts here. And then how you get there, you know, how you get those values is actually, you know, that's that's where the flexibility kicks in. So you could get your you know, VO2 max from just enter it, what you measured in the lab in a REM test. Uh, you can get it by a, a one hard effort riding outdoors uh, with lactate measurements or, and that's one of the newer parts here, um, you could get it just riding, for example, a three-minute all-out effort by yourself, only measuring the power output without measuring the lactate. And then the same goes along for the VLA max. So your VLA max, you maybe, you maybe did, you know, a lab test where somebody used the SIM high performance ergometer with the validated protocol and you have a valid VLA max. So you can just enter it, for example. Or you do some kind of sprint test outside measuring lactate or, and that's again the new thing here, I guess. Uh, you can just do something like approximately 20 second seated sprint by yourself only with a power. Um, outside. And then with the FTP or threshold, you could either do another two efforts minimum, um, longer efforts, like five minutes, 10, 12 minutes, so that the power performance decoder creates your you know, power duration curve. You know, nothing new here, I guess, right? That's what other software packages do as well. And then get your anaerobic threshold, the FTP value from a power duration curve, or which I think it's a nice way to do it as well. You can just manually enter your FTP value that you get from whatever, Golden Cheetah, WKO, or something. So you, can, you can basically use third-party um, data informa you know, information, like your, your model FTP or something as well, 
and then therefore reduce the testing time tremendously. Okay, and so so how does it work with the with the exact the or the, the protocol, even though it's flexible, but there is a sort of a a certain protocol that you can follow as as one example. Can you explain that and how, based on those uh, all out efforts, you can actually calculate those physiological metrics? Yeah, so. So especially in these, you know, last weeks with the COVID-19 situation and the lockdowns, um, what became very popular uh, was the was the way to use the power performance decoder only based on power data, because it obviously allows you to do a fully remote testing, right? You don't have to be face-to-face with your athlete, right? Um so in this case, it would only run on maximum power efforts. And um, the standard protocol, like, again, there's flexibility to it, but the standard protocol that we kind of recommend, and there are even, like, you know, Swift protocols created in collaboration with Swift, where you, you know, which guides you through it. Um, the basic protocol, uh, default protocol, contains a 20-second all-out effort it contains a three-minute all-out effort and then a six-minute and a 10 to 12-minute. And you are very flexible with the last ones. You can do whatever, five and 13 or seven and 15 or whatever, right? Um, and so how this works, you know, the first easiest one, um, the three-minute and six and 12, just to stick with that example, as I as I indicated, it's just doing an ordinary powderation curve. So there's nothing too fancy here, I guess we need to, we need to explain. Um, it's no you know, nothing new, so to speak, when it comes to this part. Um, to, to get the FTP. And then, yeah, to get a good idea of your FTP, right? It's not precisely the same as your anaerobic threshold or maximum lactate steady state, but it's kind of good enough uh, for what we need. And it does the trick, um, you know, because there's a cross-validation in there. Um, we can talk about this as well. But, you know, for for now, so that's just a powderation curve and it's it's good and it's good enough to to get your 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 threshold value so to speak and then the three minute test there is mainly there to determine your vo to max value and again just going back to that you could also do it with lactate and it adds a little bit of precision right um but you can also do it without lactate. And basically what it is, if you think about it, a three-minute effort is basically long enough um, to elicit your VO2 max, right? Even if you have slow oxygen kinetics, it will be long enough um, to reach your VO2 max, right? Yep. But then a good portion, a good portion of of this of the power, let's say, just put a number here, you write three minutes at 400 watts. So it will elicit VO2 max, but it doesn't mean, and you can feel that when you do it, obviously, everybody knows that, that not the entire 400 watts is made up aerobically, right? Not the entire 400 watts comes from the VO2. There's a good portion, you can feel that it's anaerobically, right? That is, for example, by lactate accumulation. And the key part here, and this is, you know, what it makes it very, really accurate, and this is why, for example, professional cycling teams are using it as a full substitute for lab testing, is so sticking with that example, the 400 watts example, because we know the VLA max and we know the overall physiology from your athlete from all these tests and all this data, it is possible to very, very accurately calculate how much of this 400 watts is not produced aerobically. So it's not coming from your VO2 max. And this is basically the key here. So it's not a fixed percentage where you go, oh, whatever, a three-minute effort is 120% of your VO2 max or 115 or something, right? Because the question of how much energy in these three-minute effort comes from non-aerobic sources is a question how good is your glycolytic system, for example, developed, right? So this is hopefully explaining, you know, what the three-minute effort is for. And this also gets you an idea how you can use additional lactate readings because the lactate readings, the amount of lactate is produced will indicate how much energy comes from the glycolytic system, right? So instead of calculating it, when you have lactate values, we can uh, we can we basically measure, so to speak, um, you know, how much energy comes from the glycolytic system. 
And if you don't want to take selected, you do it without, and we calculate it. And we calculate it based on the VLA max. And this brings us to your 20 seconds test, right? So the 20 seconds test is obviously mainly there to determine your VLA max, glycolytic power production, right? Yeah. And in the past, in the last weeks, this created some question marks for some people, and mostly with people who came from, yeah, I do a VLA max on a 15-second sprint test or something, right? Um, that's what I'm accustomed to, and I'm taking lactate samples before and after, right? This is where some people are coming from mm -hmm. in terms of lab testing. And to be honest, this protocol of a 15-second sprint test take, taking lactate before and after derived from, you know, my research work in 2002-2003 where we used, you know, also the muscle biopsies to compare, you know, VLA max or glycolytic power in the sprint to, um, you know, to the uh, activity, so turnover rates of glycolytic enzymes in the muscle. So this 15-second sprint test was basically validated using muscle biopsies. But it's only valid it's only valid when you know how to set up your ergometer. So sorry, I'm going a little bit into the weeds here, but basically when you want to do a sprint test with lactate measurements before and afterwards to determine VLA max, the, the question is how do you set up the sprint test in order to allow the athlete to reach maximum power? Right. If you overgear or undergear, if you overgear, the gear is too big, the athlete doesn't have you know, the, the force, the explosiveness to accelerate, Therefore, your power output is subpar. It's not your maximum power output. And if your power output is not maximum, you cannot expect to measure a maximum glycolytic or lactate production, right? You measure some kind of lactate production, but not the maximum. And if you undergear, then the acceleration is super quick, but maybe you don't reach maximum power because the guy runs out of gears, right? So this is a huge problem. It has become a huge problem in the past years for people trying to determine VLA max you know, with, with, with lactate measurements, just do any kind of sprint test. And so what is different and what is new with the power performance decoder is we use a 20-second sprint test without, even without the lactate. And it is as accurate. We used, you know, as I said, the muscle biopsy, uh, biopsy data to validate and to compare it. Um, and we were able, basically able to recalculate even without lactate samples, the glycolytic energy turnover based on the biopsies. And why this is possible? Because it is a clean anaerobic effort. So if you look into the details of the protocol, you're not allowed to, for example, pedal easy before the effort, right? The athlete basically has to come from absolute rest. And even the software checks for that. So the software is scanning if before the actual sprint test that you tried to enter into the power performance decoder if the athlete rested. And then if you have a completely rested sprint, so a sprint that comes from complete rest, you minimize the, your aerobic energy production before the sprint. And therefore, you also minimize the ability of the aerobic system to take up lactate. And you maximize your creatine phosphate because when you rest, creatine phosphate is recharged, right? So basically what you get, you get an as clean as possible anaerobic effort. And then what we can do with that is basically calculate how much of your power output in this 20-second sprint um, you know, is coming from the aerobic system, how much is coming from the, uh, from the uh, creatine phosphate system, and then everything that's left over, so to speak, is... Is, uh, is, 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 is the glycolytic part, is your VLA max. And this is also why this, now it's a little bit longer. Again, coming back from people who think, oh, it has to be in 15 seconds. It is a little bit longer because when it's a little bit longer, we are already able to see how, and this is what should happen from a physiological point of view, how the VLA max, how the glycolytic energy flux is reduced a little bit after 17, 18, 19 seconds. Right, so it gives you a better average. It gives you a better understanding. And yeah, sorry for the long answer, but um, I hope that this kind of 
created the picture on what are the mechanics or the reasons behind those different efforts. Yeah, absolutely. Just just one follow-up. So in the original test with the ergometer, you needed to have the, the correct settings and everything. You mentioned that. But uh, why is that less of an issue or a non-issue now with the PPD when you can do it out on the road or on the right. train or on your own bike? Right, yeah. Yeah, excellent question. Okay, so now we have to go a little bit more technical. Um, but that's that's cool. Um, basically because the 2002-2003, this is where this came from, 15-second sprint test that we developed, right, um, was trying to estimate um, the what what's called the non-glycolytic time, so to speak, right? So saying within a 15-second test, not all the time lactate is produced, right? In the very first one, two, three, four, whatever seconds, you primarily use creatine phosphate as an energy source, right? And the original, the original protocol was trying to estimate this based on when you reach max power. So the original protocol with the lactate 15 seconds was trying to estimate your non-glycolytic time using, you know, when do you reach max power, when you decrease for max power. That was basically the idea. And yep. therefore, the problem is <laughs> the time, again, as we just said, the time to reach max power depends on your gearing, right? It depends on what brake force you have and so on and so forth. So this is why the original protocol was linked to a specific ergometer setting. But then, you know, as things happen, um, you know, when you try to copy things, you know, a copy maybe misses out a few percent. And very often, these ergometer settings are just ignored, right? You just do any kind of sprint. This is the problem, then you just measure any kind of VLMX, but not Z VLMX. So how does a power performance decoder do it differently? Because the power performance decoder is not looking at the time. The power performance decoder is only looking at the energy. So power multiplied by time, obviously, right? So the only thing, therefore, the power performance decoder needs is that you're not able to increase your power output 12 seconds into the sprint. So it doesn't matter, so to speak, how quick you can accelerate. For example, take a triathlete. A lot of triathletes, they mess up the, you know, if you don't set up the ergometer, right, a lot of triathletes mess up the 15-second sprint test protocol because they are so slow, right? They are so slow in accelerating because they're triathletes. They're not track sprinters, right? What happens is time to reach max power is very long and you vastly overestimate your, overcalculate your VLMX. Right, and the power performance decoder doesn't really matter what exactly your gearing is, um, because again, the only thing that is needed is that your power output is not increasing anymore after 12 seconds into the sprint. And without, and with all given respect, you really, really have to mess up a 20-second sprint if you're able to still increase power after 12 seconds. Right? I think that should be intuitively right. That you know. <laughs> After 10 seconds or 8 seconds, your power will, will decrease. So in other words, and I'm very, very happy to admit that what I did 18 years ago, you know, with this uh, looking at the time to max power, you know, it was not perfect. It was the very first attempt. It was the very, very first way, validated way to measure glycolytic power uh, or energy turnover. Um, and... Yeah, I'm happy to to admit that it was not perfect because it really depended on how you set up the ergometer. And looking 18 years back, I'm I'm happy to say, okay, we were able to improve what we did 18 years ago, right? Um, so that's the main difference why the gearing is not that important anymore because it's not looking for the time; it's just looking for the energy. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Uh, so thank you for clarifying that. Can you discuss the pros and cons of uh, using those different combinations? Like what would be the, uh, the advantage of having metabolic cart data or lactate data or versus just using the remote, the power-only testing protocol? Well, so when you use a metabolic cart, the advantage is honestly, technically speaking, not really there. It's mostly because the perceived value of doing a, a view to max test with a mask on your face is higher. And um, maybe you as the user, you as a coach or scientist using it, you maybe feel better about it. 
right? Because you have a direct, you feel like you have a direct measurement of VO2 or more direct or more what you're used to. And therefore, you maybe trust the numbers a little bit more, um, especially when people start using it. Technically speaking, the accuracy is not better because what people often forget is that, uh, yes, a VO2, a VO2 analyzer, a metabolic heart is a great tool, but it's also the most complex and most difficult and most prone to error device that you can have in your tool bag box in a human performance lab. Um, so the, technically speaking, the error of using a metabolic card is not any better than using the uh, PPD without, um, without lactate or with lactate, so power-based wise, right? Um, there is a small difference using the PPD with combination with lactate and without the accuracy, so the standard um, average error um, using this in combination with lactate is slightly smaller. It is slightly better than just using it with power. Um, but the power is on par on the same level as the average accuracy or tolerance that you have in your metabolic heart data. So, um, therefore it's, it's extra. Yeah. It doesn't really matter how you want to use it. Um, in most cases, the decision is more on what data do I have? Mm. Right. So for example, for example, if you, as I said, if you, if you have a, good idea or you you feel strong you, you, on your on your fdp value on your threshold value you can shorten the test to only be 20 seconds and three minutes and get the full data so you save a tremendous amount of testing time obviously um, and this for example is one use case scenario or if you're looking for the last one and a half two percent um, added accuracy then you maybe do one effort three four minutes all out with lactate um, that might be another scenario, um, adding this into the mix of data, basically. What, what is the magnitude of the difference in error, uh, roughly between using it with lactate and without lactate? Um, so in the VLMX, it's no different. This might be for most people might be the most surprising thing. Um, but the accuracy at it currently is, we already have an improved version of the pipeline that might change, but as it stands for now, the um, the determination of the VLMX is as accurate doing it without lactate as it is with lactate in the PPD. Um, the VO2max is, um, you have an average error in VO2max calculation by 2.5% without the lactate. And with lactate, it's it's a little bit more than 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 one percent in average, and um, so that's that's much much better. Okay, and and what is the the average error of the VLA max uh, calculation? Well, with VLA max, you have to be honest and and acknowledge that no matter what you do, even if you use the original protocol from two thousand two in a lab on a high performance ergometer, um, the the reprodu the reproducibility is good. You will you will get uh, you know a very reliable VLA max. Um, in terms of reproducing the same numbers. But if you validate it to an external measurement, for example, directly measured VLMX versus calculated or versus what we did, uh, muscle biopsies, you always have to expect a deviation of 0.05 millimoles per liters per second. And mm. this is approximately where the PPD sits as well. Yeah. Okay. And uh, just for, for reference for listeners, the VLMX might range from something between Point three to point seven, point eight in most tests that I see. It can be lower and it can be a bit higher, but generally those would yeah. be the ranges. And and even I would say that that when I test triathletes, I mostly see between point three and point five five or something. It's the general range. So then you might get a value of point four five, but the actual value might be point four or point five. So. Right, that's the, right. the kind of error yeah. we're talking about. And again, you have to be honest and say, you know, this is most likely as more, almost as good as it gets, right? Because mm. if you look at the error sources and the sources that influence, even if you don't talk about, if you don't want to use the word error here, um, so let 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 aside the, the the machines that you're using or using different machines, for example, might come up with a little bit different results. Um, then some machines uh, need to correct, for example, for uh, Hemoglobin mass, uh, because hemoglobin has uh, erythrocytes have higher lactate concentrations. Um, then you have body composition in there, and you have especially something like you know maybe you are slightly glycogen depleted, or you have a slightly changed insulin or whatsoever. And so we have to be honest and say um, you know when you do lactate measurements, as with all other measurements, your power meter, your heart rate, your VO two, whatever, there's an there's an error in there. 
um, that is no matter where you do or how you test inside no inside lab field whatsoever doesn't matter you just you just have to acknowledge there's a always an error of measurement right yeah and then uh via to max same sort of question what is the rationale for how is it possible to to calculate that with only power data I believe it or believe it or not, this is some this this was a more difficult one here, <laughs> um, because um, and it might not be so obvious because you have you know VO two max estimations everywhere now nowadays, right? Just from power duration curves or from heart rate or whatsoever. Um, so um, we are using we're using an effort which is somewhere in the ballpark of two and a half and three and a half minutes, so an effort that is long enough for you to to allow you to to reach VO2 max, right? And so that give me let you know let's let's say I give you one example. Let's say your athlete reaches whatever 450 watts average for three minutes, just to say something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, then what you can be sure is that in an all-out effort for three minutes, those 450 watts are not entirely are not completely aerobically produced, and your athlete will confirm that by feeling, right? That a significant amount of energy is not coming from the aerobic uh, from from not coming from the aerobic system but from anaerobic systems and you would measure the lactate levels obviously would be elevated and so on and so forth well and so now what we can do by knowing the vla max because we know the performance we know the power output of your vla max we can pretty good pretty precisely narrow down the possible aerobic energy contribution in this three-minute effort, right? Yeah. Um, so you can say, well, you can say, okay, 450 watts, and you can say, okay, I don't know if 400 watts have been produced aerobically and therefore account for the VO2 max or 350 or 380. You would not know. But what is what is what is possible is taking your v, taking your VLA max and narrow this range down to a very, very small error. And the truth is, we can only narrow it down to a very, very small range. And I don't know if one day somebody will be able to, to you know, to make it more accurate, so to speak, right? Never say never. But at the moment, I can only tell you that it is possible to narrow your view to max down to a very small range. And this range is normally approximately two to two and a half milliliters-ish, right? This is the range from from that cement effort that we get. And the truth is, we don't know, let's say if you calculate 60 or 62, right? We don't know if it's 60 or 62. What is happening is we just take bluntly 61. We just take the average. So technically, because it's almost impossible that's below 60 or above 62 in this case, so technically it's almost impossible to get an error that is bigger than an average approximately 1.5 milliliters. Because this is the this is the size of the range, hmm. only from this. App. And then on top of that, on top of that, you get this cross validation, which I just talked about, which will then afterwards pull your VO two max slightly up or down, right? So it will, for example, use your FTP value. Let's stick with that example. Let's say we estimated the range being for your VO two max sixty to sixty two. The software in the first in the first uh, circumstances pick sixty one. Um, and then, um, and then it will use all the other metrics to fine tune it, and the result that you get might be sixty one point three or seven sixty point seven or something, right? Um, because this is this is more sound with with the other data. And uh, a question on the protocol: uh, the uh, the test can be done on the same day, but is that what you? recommend because it can also be done on separate days what uh, what do you recommend as the best one i've kind of seen that for many athletes doing it on the same day the last test might be not a maximal effort essentially it just gets either physically or mentally it, it gets to the athlete so i prefer to give it on separate days but uh, can you talk about your opinions on that yeah I, obviously it depends on the athlete if you can do it or if it's advisable to do it on the same day um, as long as you do the order right, so the three minutes and the 20 seconds first, um, or 20 seconds first and then the three minutes, because those are the two most single important efforts, so to speak. Um, I have 
no big problem as long as you you know keep fueling yourself with carbohydrates um, to do it all on the same day. Even if the last effort is a little bit off, really the the effect of it, the error sensitivity on doing whatever your 10 minutes or 12 minute efforts only with 98% is not that huge really. Um, you can do it over two days, and that's the same with you know when people use insight with lactate testing. Um, they sometimes do it over two or three days. And me personally, I really appreciate this setup doing it over several days. Because in most cases, what you want to use the data for is you want to use the data to make informed decisions on your training, right? You want to know what's your carbohydrate combustion in training, what is my FTP I use in training, my fat max zone, and so on and so forth. So when you spread out testing, PPD, lactate, inside, no inside, doesn't matter, for me, when you spread out your testing over several days, yeah, you might have a little bit more deviation within the data, even though I would not confirm that I really see that uh, often. But yeah, you have the potential to have more deviation, more noise within the data because you spread it out over several days. But it is then and therefore representing a better, a better average, a better overview over what is happening in training. You know what I mean? I'm not a big yeah. fan of saying, I want to use the data for training. I have three hard weeks of training. I do an easy week. I do two days off. I fine-tune my nutrition to some specific protocol, and I have a special meal and three day, three hours rest, and then I go into a lab and get my fat max measured. No. If this is not the situation how you train, then why create this artificial situation for testing, which has nothing to do with what you do outside in training? So, yeah, you should not do it when you're totally exhausted after the hardest day of the whole month, but try to do it in a series of days which are representative for your training scenario. Even it, even it involves a little bit more noise because I think we are often too much carried away with you know the accuracy of things, right? I mean, take FDP. Um, I see people discussing improvements in FDP by 5 watts, right? There's no way you can measure it with a maximum lactate that he said more accurately by 7 watts in most cases. Normally, it's 10 watts resolution. So, you know, we should not discuss or be carried away with with um, a few watts here, plus or minus, because that's your day-to-day -day variation anyway. Yeah, no, that makes sense. In uh, in scientific terms, you you would rather go for a bit more external validity compared to internal validity. Yeah, yeah. And uh, then in terms of the uh, the results that we get, so. Uh, some listeners have taken the test, some have not, but basically the main metabolic uh, variables that are measured or calculated and uh, then are part of the, the report that uh, the user gets include uh, the ones we talked about, VO2 max, VLA max, FTP, but also your fat max and uh, your uh, carb max, which is uh, kind of how much power you can produce at the level where you are consuming 90 grams of carbohydrate per hour which we know is kind of close to the maximum of what we can absorb uh, but uh, the, uh, the variables like fat max for example and also ftp what i want to ask about them is are they almost completely dependent on vo2 max and vla max or can they be changed in some way without changing vo2 max or vla max fat max and ftp yeah uh, just a little bit, not a lot. Um, so it depends a little bit of your talk about the bike or the run, because on the in the running, or you could also say in the swimming, um, the running economy or the energy demand for maintaining a certain speed has a huge effect on that, um, on fat max and FTP. Um, so that is an additional layer um, in in those free motion sports, um, running and running and swimming. Um, and then you have smaller influences on something like body composition on, on those values. Um, and then it's mostly determined for the rest, like the big two biggest determinants is really VO2 max and VLA max, um, because the VO2 max is basically defining, you know, for example, take fat max, or it can also take FTP. The VO2 max is defining or regulating or involved with um, how much, you know, fuel, so to speak, you could, could burn. Right, like mm -hmm. at what at what speed is your is your engine running, so to speak, 
And the VLA max is mostly determining in combination with the VO2 max, I have to say to be precise, uh, is mostly determining how much of that fuel is then derived from glycolysis. So from glucose breakdown. Um, or, so this is, this is, this is where it comes to play with fat max. And in terms of FDP, I mean, it's pretty obviously in terms of maximum lactate steady state. It's a maximum lactate steady state. So it's a steady state. And so it is a product on how much lactate is produced. Again, talking about the glycolysis, mainly regulated by VLA max, and about how much lactate can be combusted. Again, aerobic system determined by VO2 max. Um, so yeah, you cannot, there's not so much wiggle room, um, where you can change your FTP without touching one or the, one or the other or both parameters. Right. Yeah. Um, that's definitely the case. Yeah. Well, it's, it was a bit of a leading question, but the, the reason I'm asking is that, uh, in, in particular, when it comes to fat max, there is a lot of talk, a lot, uh, that uh, you see around on the internet where people are working on their fat max, uh, quote unquote. And, uh, but, uh, really what you're working on, if you want to improve it, should, should be is essentially working on VO2 max or VLA max or, or both of them uh, because they are such a large part of, of determining it. Yeah, maybe let me, let me before jumping on the training piece of it, maybe let me add something um, which often creates confusion when people, because you said people get their report or look at their fat max and inside. And there are some confusion sometimes um, about it, what you see. And I just want to make clear um, because it's not directly stated, it's not printed in, bold red letters on the report, what you get in the report is, for example, your fat max and your carbohydrate combustion under steady state conditions, and it's only related to the working compartments. Um, so it's only, it's, only, it's only related to the working tissue, right? Um, because mm. all the data that you get, either in a lactate test or in, uh, in the PPD, it doesn't really matter. All the data that you, that is processed and inside is derived from the working tissue, right? The power output that you measure on your crank, on your pedal is, is really, um, is really, you know, derived from the working muscle, obviously, right? You don't have a power meter on your arms or upper body when you move around on the bike. Um, and the other thing is the steady state, right? So, um, what you see there is obviously not accounting for, oh, I just have a chocolate bar. I increase my insulin level. Right, it's not accounting for um, you know additional oxygen uptake or additional fat combustion in non-working tissues, and that's something important for me to note here because again, for some people, especially lab owners who use inside, it has been a little bit confusing. Um, and if you then normalize your metabolic heart data, so to speak, to take out non-active muscle mass and uh, non-active tissue, I mean, um, you know, it 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 fits very very good. Um, so that is important to note here, right? You get an, an overview, you get a general understanding how your metabolism works, but what you see, it's independent of the time and independent on any, you know, harder efforts in between or these kind of things. The general, it's a general understanding of how your metabolism works. And now, sorry, coming back to your training question, when you want to train fat max, right? Or training at fat max. Um, can you do this or are you doing this without effectively changing VLA max or VO2 max? Um, well, again, mostly not to a very, very small amount. So the question is more, are you on purpose changing your VO2 max or VLA max or is it just happening as a side effect, so to speak? Um, and one thing that is, you know, I think pretty well understood is, for example, when you, high intense, when you do high intense interval training and you do high intense interval training, and it, you do it successfully in terms of increasing your VO2 max, it has been shown scientifically that this raises your fat max ability, right? So that's, again, the same mechanism here. Um, so you can train your fat max by improving your VO2 max, and then it doesn't matter how you do this exactly, by training yep. at fat max below or above. As long as you raise VO2 max, your fat max will go up. Yep. Uh Another thing that I want to get into is, uh, could you give some benchmarks and on the amateur side of things for when it comes to VO2 max, VLA max, and and FTP? What have you seen in the testing data of the users of Inside? Sorry, can you can you repeat this? Uh, benchmarks, uh, benchmark data for VO2 max, VLA max, and 
uh, and FTP for for amateur uh, amateurs that have been using inside. What what would be sort of good good values to to aim for if you want to be kind of like a Kona qualifier or something? Is it this data that you, you have been looking into or have a good idea about? Oh yeah, I mean I mean you know we have in inside we do have these. We do have these 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 groups. Um, you know, you can declare your athletes as recreational or amateur or professional athletes. It doesn't change anything about the algorithm. You can go back and you know back and forth, change your athlete as many times as you want. Uh, just changing the visualizations or how we rank the performances. Um, so yeah, definitely, um, we have we have a, a database uh, for that from decades actually. Um, so with view 2 max it is a little bit more straightforward um because it adapts nicely with endurance training and you know for regularly training triathletes you would expect something to to see above 40 um if you are what you know age group hawaii qualifier it would be more in the range of 60 and maybe upwards but this ballpark depending a little bit on the age um right for younger guys can yep. be even going up to up to seventy, but VO two max is in general something which tracks very nicely which how much you train and you know your your general fitness level, and then the VLA max is becoming a little bit more tricky, um, because because you can you can sometimes um, you, you you know you can you can have also amateur triathletes who go to um, you go down to like something like zero point three which you know zero point four which is obviously great. Right, um, for increasing fat max and increasing threshold, but mostly for the long distance, mostly the fat max. Um, but then sometimes, and then it gets really exciting in terms of training. You find people who have zero point five, zero point six, and then this offers their, and then this offers really um, the main room for improvement for their um, for their for the long distance uh, training. You know, I just had a um, couple of couple of months ago, I was. Um, at a training conference for the German Triathlon Federation and um, gave a presentation there for the coach education program. And we had Faris Al-Sultan there, the, the, the national coach and former coach of Patrick Lange. And he also confirmed that, yeah, he doesn't care so much about the VO2 max in his, or actually he doesn't care at all about the VO2 max in his long distance athletes because he knows that the VO2 max itself is not important and the threshold is not important. It's the fat max and the VLA max that really decides um, you know your 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 fate in a long distance uh, race. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Obviously, you you need a good VO two max to to win Kona, but it doesn't. I, I I see what he's saying. He it doesn't hurt. Uh, that <laughs> automatically with with training, yeah. like, or more yeah. more automatically. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't hurt. And 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 on that note, and that note, I think something that 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 is maybe important to remember for the listeners as well: the influence of the VLA max. On your threshold and on your fat max increases with this VO2 max. So it's not mm. it's, it's it is not linear. It's not straightforward. You can just not say, ah, the influence of VLA max on my threshold of fat max is X Y Z. It as most biological systems, they are not linear. Um, it's not it's not the same. Like basically, if you have a VO2 max of forty, um, because you're not training that much, you maybe just started, then you don't. I mean, it's good to know VLA max and to look at it and to monitor it, right? But it's not your primary training goal. It is something to maybe save for later and already monitor to see how it develops, how it adapts to your training that you're doing. But in this case, let's say you have somebody, to make an example of this, a VLA max of 0.7 and a VO2 max of 40. Then honestly, don't, don't bother your VLA max because the, the 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 potential to improve in view by to improve your performance by improving VO2 max is much much higher, and the effect on VLA max on your performance is comparable low small. Um, in in contrast, if you have somebody with a VLA max of let's say zero point maybe maybe it's the same guy he starts training and he gets to a VO2 max of sixty and his VLA max is still zero point seven, then it's really time to start working on it, right? Because again, the higher the VO2 max, the bigger the effect of lowering the VLA max is is on fat max and FTP. Yeah, that, that's that's uh, really good that you brought that up. That's uh, that's really really good information. Uh, and uh, do you think something that I've seen is that uh, I think there is a tendency 
to maybe that we overestimate what we think a typical VO2 max is. And uh, it's good that you mentioned there that uh, 40 might be a completely normal value for a recreational athlete, at least at the beginning uh, beginning part of their uh, endurance careers, so to say. But uh, I do think that even for the more advanced athletes, that there might be a tendency to overestimate what we think that our VO2 max should be or what a typical VO2 max should be compared to what the reality is. Would you agree with that? Or is that something you've seen? Well, in my opinion, uh, or my, my gut feeling, I would say yes. Um, I think, you know, you have to acknowledge that um, if you train, for example, 10 hours per week, then I would not often expect to see a view to max above 60, right? In most people, yeah. obviously, that's a, that's a very general, it's a very simplified saying. But in average, in average, if like just to give you a benchmark here or a ballpark number, if you want to see a VO to max significantly above sixty, you either have to train very smart. So I'm not saying it's not possible. You know, I've seen guy in 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 my coaching business with uh, 62, 63, 50 years old, training eight hours, seven hours per week. But then you really have to be you know spot on with what you're doing and know what works for you and so on and so forth. But in general. Um, you know, 10 hours per week should bring you to a VO2 max close to 60, 58, whatsoever, right? Um, so the said, if you want to have 65, then you maybe need to train 15 or 16 hours. And now we have to ask the question, how many people are really doing this? And here I'm mostly counting the bike and the the run part um, because, um, yeah, because the swimming is not contributing so much to your VO2 max on the bike and, and on the run. Mm, yeah, yeah, uh, that's uh, that's another great point for for triathletes. Uh, what about uh, gender differences? What what is uh, a typical difference between what was the average for males versus females? Um, well, if, you know the numbers that we talked about. Sorry for that. Actually, uh, the the numbers I just I just presented is is related to males. Uh, in females, it is significantly lower. Lower in females, you are highly highly trained when you have sixty. Um, you see sometimes professionals in cycling, for example, with a view to max and the ballpark of 70 or something. Um, so for the female athlete, the numbers are generally significantly lower. Um, you could say maybe a ballpark, maybe be, you know, a solid 10 milliliters approximately, right? Um, Mm. It it is on the one hand a little bit easier to get a higher relative view to max because in general females weigh lower, weigh less in average. Um, but on the other hand, the main contributor to the VLMA, uh, to the VO2 max is the used muscle mass, right? So if you go cross-country skiing, you use more muscle mass, you can expect a higher VO2 max in, in average. And females have normally less muscle mass percentage-wise than males. And this is one of the main reasons why you see lower VO2 max values with them. Yeah. Well, I think what you mentioned there as well with the body mass, that uh, brings up an, an interesting point why I think that VO2 max may be overestimated because a lot of the benchmark numbers that we see comes from uh, studies in elite athletes that don't have a single kilo of body weight to lose, whereas many amateurs maybe do carry a couple of kilos, even if they're lean, but maybe they carry a couple of extra kilos of, of body fat compared to what the elites would do. And that quickly... Uh, decreases your relative vo2 max to bo- to body weight so it gives you a, so so looking at the absolute vo2 max can also be informative rather than just a relative yeah no most definitely excellent point that's most definitely right um you could look at something like lean body mass vo2 max but then it becomes more different more difficult to compare because you know how you measured lean body mass and there are different ways and you know it's adding another layer of possible errors so that's that's why you can only you only want to do this when you always do it the same way and the, the same same measurement. But yeah, the extra kilos in terms of extra body fat is definitely something that is lowering your your, your relative number. And um, we we have it this way that in inside you when when you do a cycling test you get both numbers, milliliters per minute and milliliters per minute per kg, uh, because it can both matter when you're riding uphill or in the flat uh, and in running we, because you always have to carry your own body weight we only display the relative number per kilogram body weight mm. and and just to as a reference point what would uh, be a typical range of your max values that for example the professionals at kona on the male side and the female side would would have 
I don't have much data on the female side, to be honest. Um, on the male side, you would expect somewhere in the ballpark of 75. Maybe mm. somebody 77, right? Because, again, never hurts. It helps. Um, but an average, maybe not the champion, but the, an average, you would expect something as low, I have to say, as in the ballpark of 75, maybe 76, 77. Um, so rarely something um, significant above 80, what, for example, you would see in cyclists uh, more or less all the time, um, values above 80, right? Um, and again, I don't have good data on the females. I expect... I expect I can only guess here basically um, that it would be uh, in the range of the mid 60s somewhere. Yeah. And would that be similar on the bike and the run 75, for example, uh, as a benchmark or yeah. higher than the other? Well, I mean, in, in average, in average, you see a little bit higher values of VO2 max uh, in the run um, because you're using a little bit more muscle mass um, in general. Um so yeah, you could you could see a slightly higher VO2 max there. However, in in triathlon, triathletes who are very balanced trained, you sometimes see the see the same values um, in both disciplines, basically. Yeah. Another question is uh, how sort of like if we do uh, an inside test on the bike, like we do the PPD and we maybe do the power only test, uh, does that tell us anything about? Uh, our running physiology like let's say we have sort of a relatively low vla max for example can we then make an educated guess that probably that is the case on the run as well or or might that be completely different and we need to test the run separately yeah that's that's super difficult i just had this discussion two hours ago um yeah i mean you can apply this logic and say the view to max in the run should be the same or higher so let's say you came up with view to max for an example of 60 on the bike you can say ah. Oh, will be most likely will not be lower than 59 and will most likely be somewhere 60 to maybe 60.5 on the run. That's a kind of an educated guess you can do. And then for everything else, it becomes super difficult or not, not solid, not legit, not, not, um, yeah, not accurate to make a, to make an estimated guess. Right. I mean, you mm. could, you could just transfer the values, but yeah, um, that's often not the case, right? You can see different VLA max numbers um, in the run. Um, not totally. I mean, you 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 cannot expect if you have on the bike 0.3, you cannot expect to have on the run 0.9 or vice versa. But you can see a little difference in 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 you know in both disciplines. Could you see 0.5 on the run if you had 0.3 on the bike? Difficult, but depending on running economy, it could be the case. But yeah. um, that's, I would say, somewhere on on the edge. I mean, you know, if you if you apply then the same typical error we talked about in the beginning, you say, ah, oh, the zero point five, the zero point five could be zero point four five, and the zero point three could be a worst case zero point three five. Then, yeah. All right, I hope that you enjoyed that episode. You can find the show notes as usual on scientifictriathlon.com and uh, I will link in the show notes and in the episode description to the related episodes, the previous interviews we have done with Sebastian. Definitely, if you have not listened to episode 169, that is sort of the prerequisite uh, knowledge for really getting the most out of this episode, I would say. So if you didn't quite get what we were talking about at points, then it might be worth you going back to episode 169, listening to that, and then coming back to this episode again. Even if you did listen to episode 169, uh, then that's definitely a great episode, one of the most downloaded of all time of this podcast. And uh, so I would highly recommend that you go and revisit that, and then maybe you can come back to this one and listen to it once again. In the next part of this interview, which will be out next Monday, we go more into the training and physiology aspects of things. So this episode was more about the background of the test protocol and the algorithms, how they work and how they can be accurate and so on. And uh, the next episode will be more a general, with or without testing, like what what are some fundamental aspects of training and physiology and how do they relate to the testing, of course, because um, you can get the most out of your training if you know what your physiology is actually like and what you should be training. But uh, for all intents and purposes, the next week's episode will be a bit more about the general training aspect rather than specific to the inside testing and software.
If you haven't already, it would be great if you could go and leave a rating and review for this podcast. I haven't asked in a while and I noticed that uh, the ratings and reviews really dried up and uh, it's been a, a very dry patch in that regard. So uh, it all helps. Every single rating and review helps out. So please, if you haven't done that and you're enjoying the podcast, take a moment to do so. That would mean the world to me. Big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Hydration, that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Go and take their free online sweat test and get a personalized hydration strategy for your next event or race or even just for day-to-day training, especially if you're doing a lot of training, long training hours outdoors in the heat or indoors, uh, which uh, will mean that you will sweat a lot. That's definitely worth it to get uh, a gauge on your uh, sweat sodium concentration. And big thanks to Roka that you can find on roka.com. You can get 20% off your order with the promo code that you can find on roka.com forward slash TTS. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.